Welcome back, creeps. Hi, everyone. Hope you're having a fucking fantastic Friday so far. How is everyone? You can't respond. I'm just going to assume everything's okay. And if it's not okay, it will be. Yeah. Right, so we're getting straight into it. Yeah. Tell me a scary story. Okay. Scare my pants off. All right, so I'm going to cover some material that is, uh, I guess, near and dear to my heart. And when I say that, I mean, it's one of the things I'm most afraid of. Oh, shit. So we're talking about aliens today. So my sources are UFOinsight.com, The Still and Explained 1994 Aerial School UFO Alien Encounter by Marcus Louth, N-O-U-F-O-R-S.com, Collective Evolution, UFOAfroNews.net, Mysterious Universe. So those are my sources. So when did this happen? Uh, September 16th, 1994. So there is a school in Rura, Zimbabwe, uh, where 62 children told their teachers that a spacecraft has landed and aliens had come out of it. They all described it using the same details. Now, not like a very, very small percentage of these children actually said UFO because a lot of them didn't know what the fuck they were looking at. Yeah. They didn't know how to process. They had never, obviously never seen anything like that before. And what was more accepted and prominent as far as like weird, out of the norm things of nature uh, would be like legends of demons and evil entities and things like that. So a lot of them thought maybe that's what it was. So, yeah. That's so interesting, though, because it's just like uh, goes back to what we were talking about the other day, like not on the podcast, just me and Dulce, Um, because we do talk sometimes, just the two of us, uh, about aliens and Egyptian or and fucking ancient cultures and stuff and like weird hieroglyphs yeah we were talking about uh where the origin stories of atlantis probably came from unidentified submerged objects or aliens that live in the water but it's interesting that even now somebody who doesn't necessarily know what like they don't have that reference to like sci-fi movies or anything yeah straight away they think fuck this is a demon yeah or I don't know. Yeah, more likely a demon. Some religious thing, anyway. The end of times. Or just like, you know, lore. It doesn't have to do with religion. Oh, well, yeah. Um, On this particular Friday, the teachers were having a staff meeting inside the school while the children were outside during recess. They were being loosely supervised by one adult who ran the, quote, tuck shop. A lot of you listeners probably know what a tuck shop is. Uh, Most of the Americans probably don't. Um, I didn't know what it was until Adam and I started dating and he told me he had one in his apartment complex. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Used to frequent it. Yeah. And I had one in school as well. Scruff. Scruff's tuck shop. So I guess we had one too, but I just didn't know it was called a tuck shop. We just called it the bakery because they made cookies like in-house in your school yeah it was like a part of a home ec um project like basically all the kids that were at home ec made the 
cookies and sold it for like 50 cents. That sounds fantastic. Now, ours was just a a grumpy old man who would buy stuff from like the cash and carry or even sometimes, you know, if it's like supermarkets are selling stuff that's gone out of date. So they sell like a whole case of Coke for like four or five dollars. Oh, okay. And then he would sell it to the students out of date and make a huge profit on it. It was great. We yeah. loved it. Yeah, I mean, the menu at the cafeteria can only give you so much. Or if, if even if you had that option. I know you said that you didn't. Yeah, no, ours was just like sweets. It was great. Right. So for our American listeners, basically it's just a, like a little shop on on school premises that sells like what Adam said, candy, snacks, soft drinks, like that. So that was who was loosely supervising these kids. <laughs> okay. As the children were running around and playing, uh, silver spacecrafts appeared in the sky, followed by a few smaller silver crafts in tow. These UFOs would vanish and reappear several times while they were in the sky. Now, I wonder, do you think this might imply the capability of traveling at the speed of light? maybe teleportation parallel universe hopping or what i mean yeah like or jesus christ i don't know i mean think about that because like remember we were talking about during your story like the popping in in and out in and out yeah of different fucking realms exactly yeah or like it's like a consistent um theme even with bigfoot stories there's oh yeah that's a good point um but or are they just traveling so fast that the kids are losing sight of them? Very true. Also a possibility. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, the children ceased their schoolyard games to stare at the sky, as you do, um, as the spacecraft kind of just hovered above them. The main craft then darted to a hill close to where they stood and landed on the ground about 300 feet away amongst a handful of gum trees. So the space in this area was like had there was like scantily clad with some trees because they were um they were clearing the area because that area was still school property. Right. So I guess they had like some plans to build uh more buildings there or just do like have a project there. But the only thing separating the children from the spacecraft was a fence. Like a just a shitty little fence. Just a shitty little fence. Wow. Imagine being those children, though. Yeah. The best day of school ever. <laughs> so the area where the spacecraft had landed, that area was like the only... Well, I guess another reason why you wouldn't go near that area now is because it's like chock full of fucking aliens. <laughs> but before that, it like the kids knew they couldn't go back there. So it was school property, but the kids couldn't go back there. Yeah, yeah. Nobody could go back there unless you were actively working, chipping away to to clear the area. Mm-hmm. But like them landing so close to the kids was not even the worst part. They watched as a small man, about three feet tall, walk out of the ship. He was extremely thin, had long black hair and huge black eyes. The little man then started walking towards the children. Holy shit. Yeah. There was another little man on top of the spacecraft who was watching the one who was walking away. I guess like keeping guard or some shit. Yeah, yeah. 
it's assumed that the kids made a noise, perhaps because they were fucking terrified. Yeah. Uh, but at that moment, the little man advancing towards them had just abruptly stopped. He stared at the kids for a while before turning around and heading back to the spaceship. The ship lifted off again and vanished as did the other smaller ships. That's fucking nuts. Yeah. The aftermath of these poor kids is like a mixed bag of terrifying. These kids ran inside the school crying and just inconsolable. Like it just makes you feel so bad for these kids. Because I would guess like I guess I forget like that's how naturally kids would react. Like they'd cry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what is happening? <laughs> so the teachers naturally stopped the meeting and ran out to meet the children because all they fucking heard was screaming. Yeah. This is a quote from one of the teachers of the school. They came running up here in such a panic. And even if we staged it, they could have not all run up together like that. I guess it means even if they staged it. Yeah. They came up here like a living snake. We were in a staff meeting and we just heard them screaming and screaming. A child cannot make that up. Yeah, that would have to be like one huge mass coordinated. If I was a a teacher, I'd shit my pants. I'm like, oh my God, what the fuck (laughs) just happened? If I seen the kids running, I'd just be like, I'm out. Some of them thought that what they saw were the demons of legends in the area. Oh, okay. Yeah, which would explain the screaming. (laughs) (laughs) Others describe having what would be like a telepathic communication with a little man that stared at them, therefore felt like they knew what they seen. So like a lot of these kids are processing this differently. Yeah. Right. And But some of them do, and we'll get into that later, but they believe that while the little man was staring at them, they just kind of came into a knowledge of what these things were and why they were, what they were doing here. That's nuts. Yeah. So this is a quote from a second teacher from the school. I was very skeptical in the beginning as well. I believe that they had seen something, but I wasn't prepared to accept that it was anything supernatural. But I think the consistency of what's been going on indicates that it was more than I was prepared to admit in the beginning. So how did the teachers react? They decided not to tell the parents. Of course, yeah. (laughs) They knew, like, again, like, I, the kids, the teachers were like, okay, I know you're fucking scared, clearly, and you saw something that scared you. But, I mean, just like anything else that scares a kid, you think it'll blow over. And they'll be fine. So, it was Friday, remember, and the kids ended up just going home for the weekend. And all, everything just went back as normal, I guess, you would think. So, the weekend came and passed. But once the school week began... The calls from the parents came pouring in because some of these kids just could not cope with what they saw and they were still very scared. So the parents, they demanded to know what the fuck happened on Friday. (laughs) We were told it's a non-uniform day and then all of a sudden this. So the school made the decision to contact Cynthia Hind. So who is Cynthia Hind? Why was she the first that the school thought of? She was the MUFON representative of Zimbabwe and a field investigator since 1974. She had investigated before that, but she was the official representative um, as of 1974. Oh, okay. Wow. She was also a freelance writer, 
and before she was that, she received a BA in English and minored in psychology at Cape Town University in South Africa. Jesus Christ. So she's a pretty big deal in the UFO world. Yeah, yeah. She had written several journals and published books in Zimbabwe about UFOs, her investigations, and her findings. I'm going to find... I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to leave a link that'll lead you to some of her work if you want to take a look at them because you can still find it on the internet. But again, this was before like the age of internet, The her actual pamphlets. Like, they, they look like... Um, I guess screen sh- not screenshots, uh, scannings. Oh yeah, 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 of her journals and stuff, and they're really freaking good. Like they look legit. Yeah, it's literally it's like reading a journal about someone talking to like just basically investigations. I want to do a story on her and her cases because I'm very interested to learn how the Zimbabwe community views these kinds of subjects. You yeah, know? yeah, that would be really cool. Anyway, Cynthia Hind and Harvard psychologist Dr. John Mack interviewed the children and concluded that they were sound mind and that there was no sign of delusion or psychosis. Quickly, though, I just threw in that name, Dr. John Mack, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to explain who Dr. John Mack is. He was also an avid alien abductor researcher and a respected member of the UFO community. He also wrote books on aliens and abductions. On, the, on my notes, I wrote, he wrote books on the aliens. <laughs> <laughs> he, his works and beliefs led him to be ridiculed and scorned by his peers so much that his abilities to treat people in the medical sense was called into question. I mean, this is the danger with these kind of subjects. Though, oh, right? yeah, Absolutely. Remember, he's a Harvard psychologist, and even then he was questioned. Yeah. yeah. You know, like that's the epitome of like the best schooling. Yeah, exactly. So Harvard then formed a committee to assess him. Like this literally went down. He recounts his memory of this. One of the deans at the Harvard Medical School handed me a letter that called for the establishment of a small committee to investigate my work on the alien abduction phenomena. After explaining vaguely that, quote, concerns had been expressed to the university about what I was doing, in parentheses, although he told of no specific complaint, nor was any offered in the letter, he added pleasantly, for he had been a friend and colleague that I would not have gotten into trouble if I had not suggested in the book Abduction that my findings might require a change in our view of reality rather than saying that I had found a new psychiatric syndrome whose cause had not yet been established. Mac would later be found by the dean to be clear and free to, quote, study what he wishes and to state his opinions without impediment, end quote. He was good with some of, like, I guess the important ones, uh, important committee of Harvard. Basically, like, his peers and his classmates yeah, yeah. were taking the piss out of him, you know? But, like, the people were like, all right, like, let's fucking do this because everybody's fucking complaining about you and you'll be fine. Trust me, you'll be fine. And he was. They they cleared him yeah, and everything was fine. Anyways, basically what I'm trying to say is he's a man who isn't afraid to stick to the facts, no matter how they contradict society's idea of normalcy. Yeah, well done. Yeah. Sticks to his guns. Exactly. Anyway, back to the story. They had a really good pair of people to handle this situation. 
all the details each child gave matched the others. And they all described what happened as a matter of fact, as you would a trip to the grocery store. One of the kids who felt like they received a telepathic message said that they think that they came to tell them that they were not looking after the planet properly. Other kids said they received messages in the form of mental images. They said the beings showed them the end of the world where, quote, all the trees would go down and nobody would be able to breathe, end quote. They described these beings as holding them with their gaze as it placed these images into their minds. I have a quote from one of the witnesses about the incident. Her name is Emily Trim. All I can tell you is that two beings were hopping along beside Lisa and I, and they were curious. They weren't touching the ground. They were almost like mimicking us. All of a sudden, they were in front of us. I described them as being about arm's reach, and we were frozen. Telepathic images started going across my face. Communication through the eyes, that's all I can really describe it as. It was just image after image after image. Those thoughts came from the man, the man's eyes. One of the other girls standing beside me, she got more communication about the environment. And for me, mine was more technology uses and uses of technology. End quote. I think that's interesting because she describes seeing these things right next to her, right? Yeah, yeah. So... I was going to be quick to be like, oh, well, you know what? Maybe like here's an inconsistency about the story, you know, because all these kids are saying that they were about 300 feet away, blah, blah, blah. And this girl is saying that they're right next to her. But the thing is, if these things can put images in your mind, why wouldn't it be able to give you this kind of experience yeah, to make yeah. you think that they are are next to you? instead of in front of you you yeah, know what i mean yeah, yeah. i think it's interesting that she had the specific this particular kind of experience and basically because like and i'll read it again later um after th this incident she continued to have these types of experiences and and see these kinds of things so maybe it just depends on like how open the person is or something uh, you maybe know? or maybe that whatever that thing is found what it was looking for in her like you could there's tons yeah, of speculation yeah. um that we can do here one child claimed the alien figure had spoken into his mind that the human race should not be so quote technologed end quote technologed yeah I so like <laughs> i think he kind of just inferred that we're using this kind of thing for for the wrong reasons or we're using it incorrectly which again i completely agree yeah like we've gotten too big for our boots kind of thing uh yeah it could be or maybe it just means that maybe we shouldn't focus on technology so much again i agree mm -hmm. on account of how desensitized uh some people can be yeah it's important to note that these kids ages range from 6 to 12 years old and had zero exposure to UFO cases or UFO encounters, and yet they describe things that were consistent with other UFO encounters that have been documented around the world. So just to add to their validity, right? Yeah. Also remember that at the time this happened, the internet was not vastly available. 
as it is now. Of course, yeah. 1994, you said, right? Mm Mm-hmm. As they interviewed the children, they noted their body language and behavior, and it was all consistent with someone who was telling the truth. Again, I reiterate, this is like the perfect match to have handled this case because not just because of their their experience in ufo investigations but also because of their backgrounds like yeah their educations like their educations as but like their medical fields like they're into psychology you know they study these they study the human to see okay if they wanted to look for signs of lying these would be the people to find it yeah yeah also during these interviews the children went into more detail when it came to the little dude that came out of the spacecraft <laughs> One child said that the long black hair looked like that of a hippie and that the form of the being was black and shadow-like. Another child described the beings as wearing tight-fitted clothing like that of a diver. They also remembered a noise before the aircraft approached. They described it as a scary flute noise. Mm. Yeah. I wonder what that is. Like, I don't know. I said it was scary. So, as far as the spaceship, the children would describe them as oblong with flashing lights in different colors. The ship itself was silver in color. Quote This thing, whatever it was, was beautiful. It had a circular shaped bright light as the leader, and behind it were tails of light in beautiful colors green, orange, and yellow. It moved slowly and looked as if at, as if it was just above the house. I guess I meant the schoolhouse. The amazing thing is that it moved absolutely silent. Hind and Mac reviewed drawings that some of these children had made based on what they'd witnessed and the details were also very similar. Similar. I just don't think these kids are lying. <laughs> Anyways, they also mentioned that after the spaceships left, the area where they landed was looked over by some people. They had mentioned some people showed up. They weren't very specific to who these people were. Okay. And they had heard from them that the grass where they'd said they'd seen the thing was blackened, singed, and just the area was very large. Like it was flattened. Yeah. Yeah. Where it had landed. Exactly. Um, I think the scariest detail is that the kids also reported a a sense that the entities wanted to take the children into the UFO. Mm. Whatever they had seen was a truth to them and they weren't trying to be deceptive. According to Cynthia Hind and Dr. John Mack, they had both concluded that this was a genuine UFO encounter. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, these poor kids, man. I just can't. Like, I'm having a hard time dealing with this kind of yeah, subject yeah. matter. I can't imagine them. Two days before this happened, a group of 100 kids also saw spacecraft in the sky that was flying low enough that it piqued their interest as it did not look like anything that they had ever seen. They were in their own schoolyard at Pierhouse School, 25 miles away from Aerial School, which is where all the shit went down. Yeah. At the same time, the radio system that the school buses use went out of service. Oh, wow. Another interesting fact, Cynthia Hind was also collecting several reports 
of not just UFO activity in the aerial school air in the <laughs> this is a mouthful <laughs> in the aerial school area in the days leading to the sighting but sightings of strange creatures as well so like it's almost like all the shit was going down leading up to this big yeah this was that big event mm-hmm For example, in the days leading up to the aerial school incident, a mother and her young son claimed to have witnessed a UFO in broad daylight. Perhaps the most unnerving of these sightings, though, came from a truck driver who claimed to have seen strange beings on the roadside one night while he was driving. Oh. So while all this was going down, parents and teachers weren't as receptive to the information and the claims that were circulating. One thing I want to discuss is what I find strange with this detail, because here's what I think. Why would you contact UFO investigators if you didn't believe what these children were saying? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Why? But then I guess guess like who else do you? I don't know. When they were asked during a documentary around 18 months after the incident how they felt about people not believing them, aside from the expected answers of sad or being frustrated, one child would state that it makes you think it might not be true. The impact this experience left on some kids is sad in that they fear that they would like these things would come back to take them. Emily Trim, the girl I mentioned before, had said that since then, she has had other experiences with similar entities that have the ability to alter her perception. That's what I mean. Okay. Like, she believes the same thing. Like, that they can alter her perception. Remember, we were literally just talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, How the other kids saw them away from them but she was like oh well i the way i saw it they were right next to us yeah yeah you know her and her friend lily saw the same thing as adults these kids well i guess these kids now as adults rather none of these witnesses had gone back on their accounts they know what they saw and they're sticking to it exactly they insist on what happened that day was true they're also happy that Cynthia Hind and John Mack got involved and above all, believe them. Their story might have just been a blip in history, but they gathered so much information on the incident. And Dr. Mack risked his professional career in order to get the truth out there. And these witnesses are grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So, like, if you wanted to look into it, um, there are videos of these children as they're being interviewed up on the internet on youtube so go ahead and check them out right on yeah have you yeah okay cool like they're in their little school uniforms and they're all huddled together and cynthia hind is there just asking asking them questions about what they saw and stuff like that but i mean they they're just kids like just kids just just describing something that they saw that day and that's it yeah, but I don't know, like you read these things and they're just stories. But when I saw these videos, it was just like my heart broke for them, you know, in a way, because I mean, sure, not like some of them actually were like, oh, you know, it was a really cool thing that happened. But some of these probably have 
trauma like yeah absolutely you know what, like, what yeah. is this fucking thing that just came down out of the sky exactly and so like seeing their like little faces and it just like breaks your heart well broke mine anyway well i hope you're ready to re-watch these videos because that's what we're doing for the afternoon <laughs> that was a great story thank you yeah no problem thank you for entering my ear holes with this inf information yeah no problem are you ready for the conclusion of the demon of brownsville road i'm kind of cold can you hand me that sweater over there that's hanging off the hook yeah can you sling your hook i heard you saying that to mike just said like who she thinks she is <laughs> okay so by late january 2005 uh father ron tells bob that in order to get the vatican involved or not even necessarily get the vatican involved but to get an exorcist involved in the case they need to get third-party recommendations or like third-party reports of the activity so he gives them the website of a local paranormal investigation crew from pennsylvania state university does that sound familiar to you to get a third-party input no a paranormal investigation crew from pennsylvania state university what, what year was this 2005 so is it that penn state they it's that Penn State, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they brought them in, yeah. So in That's case cool. this hasn't rung any else, any of your bells, this is our big shot celebrity <laughs> in the story. So the website was that of Penn State Paranormal Research Society. Yeah. That's right, creeps. The one and only Ryan Buell and his team, who would eventually go on to host Paranormal State, which ran for six seasons, but that wasn't until two thousand and seven. So at this point, he is still just a humble paranormal investigator. Is he not humble now? Oh, no. Oh, no? <laughs> no, I don't know what he's doing now. Um, oh. I think he the fame got the better of him. But I actually used to love this program. I remember watching Penn State when I was, I don't know, when I first learned how to like download shows off websites and had them on a hard drive when I guess I was like 18 or 19. Mm. And it was a cool show. Anyway, Father Mike was not happy about their involvement at all. He wanted to keep it strictly within the church. He wanted no scientific recording of events, which I just thought was so strange. I was like, did he just want this to be like an ongoing case with no cure? Or did he think he could rid the house of this entity all on his own and just wanted to take all the credit for it? I don't know, but I did find it strange. Leading up to the, we're just going to call them PRS. So leading up to the PRS coming to investigate the entity again, seeming to sense an attack coming, perhaps it started being noisy, like sounded like there was furniture being moved, banging on the walls and all that shit. Charlie's gold crucifix disappeared while he was asleep, only to be found in his room later, bent and folded in half on itself. And that's the one that kept doing that. It was Bobby's, I think, originally. This is. So now it's happening to Charlie. Now it's happened to Charlie. Also, cold spots, cold spots started to appear, which was totally new for the family, which, again, is another thing I find strange because it's such a common, like, haunted house thing, you know. Yeah, oh, I feel cold right things. here. But when I thought about it, I was like, maybe this just reaffirms the fact that this thing was not human. You know, maybe cold spots are only attributed to human spirits. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe. 
the PRS group showed up late one Friday evening, like 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And Bob was really taken aback by the fact that they were literally a group of college kids with one older dude, uh, Adam Bly, I think is this guy's name. But he did say that they acted super professional and that Ryan had a dramatic flair even without the camera presence. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So they set up camp on the third floor and told the family to go to bed. Obviously, you know, they got introduced and familiarized with the case or whatever. And the first night was uneventful. But interestingly enough, the group had a psychic who was supposed to attend and canceled fairly last minute. Which, again, is another strange thing because, like, uh, it's as if people just know to avoid the house. Like Father Ron. Or this psychic was just a fucking flake. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe. She was in Gettysburg. Mm. I don't know where that is. Flaky Gettysburg. Flaky Gettysburg. I've, I have heard it called that. In case our sound quality has changed, because I know that we are, you know, the epitome of professional sounding podcasters. It's just raining really heavy outside and it's lovely. On Saturday, that the, the next day, the Saturday, when the group are talking with Bob, they tell him that Julie, this their psychic, had informed them of a hidden space in the center of the house that needs to be uncovered. Bob knew just where to look. In the center of the house. In the center of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Can you guess where it is? Like The basement? No. Oh, no. Is it that closet thing? It's in the closet. Ah. So the back wall of this closet that goes like under the stairs yeah you know bob had thought about it before there is space under there that's not being used yeah so ryan says let's fucking do this shit bob brings up the power tools so that's the 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 part where he was just like he just noted that there was a little door there and he just covered it back up right no 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 no. sorry this is in the coat closet Oh, so the where where was the other thing? In that the was up room? in the no, that was up in the attic. Oh, they had like a storage space. There's like a lot of little nooks, nooks. and crannies here. Yeah, but no, this one was like, like an English muffin. One would say. Okay, <laughs> this one was completely sealed up, like there was no access to it or whatever. Like uh-huh. Bob literally had to bring up his. Oh, so he didn't even know about it. He had he like he knew that there was space there, but it was never a room or accessible. Mm. Anyway. I'm picturing a perfect 80s montage with Bob, who, by the way, for some reason, I had been imagining as Dr. Phil. Like, not looking similar to him, like, just Dr. Phil. The entire time I was reading this book, I Mm. pictured Dr. Phil. Anyway, picture Dr. Phil in a checkered shirt with safety glasses and a saber saw in the closet with all the coats and shit still in there. Just going to town on the back wall while Ryan Buell just stares approvingly from the doorway. All the while, like, the heat is on down, 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 plays over it. I can see it. Yeah, right? Yeah. You sound really excited about it, so that's No, because I'm, like, really thinking hard <laughs> about keeping this in my head so I can see him do it. Okay, so there's, like, plaster and dust and shit flying everywhere. I'm literally thinking about all that stuff hitting his bald head. <laughs> that's why i'm yeah. so quiet it and takes concentration to keep this in your head you know while you're telling the story just men being men <laughs> <laughs> anyway turns out psychic julie was right and there was a storage space type area behind the coat closet and under the stairs but 
the measurements are three feet by five feet by four feet. Mm. It's not a huge amount of room, but enough for a demon's lair, perhaps. Oh. Okay, so are they like tiny house people? <laughs> Apparently, yeah. <laughs> so this area was full of black coal dust because the coal room would have been directly underneath, I think, back in the day. And literally dust was the only thing that could penetrate this area like through cracks in the floor okay otherwise it was perfectly sealed off yeah ryan and his crewmate adam they they're like the two lead guys from the from the group okay they put on some masks and they take some flashlights and they go in there and they explore for an hour now after saying how small the space was i don't know how they were in there for an hour yeah whatever they were doing in there they found some pretty interesting shit a large stone of amber, big enough to cover the, the palm of Bob's hand. The skeleton, the complete skeleton of a small bird. Whoa. A king of spades from one deck of cards. The queen and three of hearts from another deck of cards. A Lego toy belonging to Charlie and a crumpled piece of paper. Now, let me tell you what was on this piece of paper. And then I'll show it to you because I actually have pictures of it. On one side of the paper, there seemed to be a depiction of the view from the backyard of the house at sunset. It was a sketch of two pretty female faces smiling and gazing up at the sunset. One older, one younger. With birds in the sky, along with large trees in the background and a picket fence in the foreground. It was signed H.P. Malik. The initials A.M.B. also appeared on the picture. An obviously pleasant, happy family scene. The other side had a sketch of a man's face with a big nose and a cigar in his mouth, a pig's head, a man laughing at him behind his back, and a snake coiled, ready to bite the man. Most interesting, the edges seemed to be scorched and it was not folded but crumpled up in a ball. So the theory behind the piece of paper was that it was a malocchio, which translates to roughly, I guess, from Italian to evil eye. That's what the drawing is. No, um, that's what the piece of paper is. So it's a curse, basically, put on the house or the Malik's themselves by a disgruntled workman who, according to one Christian mystic, was was owed money and was just generally envious of Mr. Malik's lifestyle. Again, it's a theory, but they went on to say that this curse was meant to make the entire house burn down. And apparently there had been a serious fire on, I think, on the third floor in the house at one stage. Also, apparently the people who built the house, like the workmen back in the early 1900s, believed that the land itself was cursed. And while the building was going on, a lot of accidents kept happening. I had asked a question on Instagram last week. This is me personally. This isn't me reading from the book. <laughs> um, where do poltergeists put stuff when they make it disappear? And one of our really loyal listeners who's always writing to us on Instagram, but I only know as Brees. I'm not even sure if that's a real name. So they said that they hide stuff in the walls where they live. And I just thought, well, like she really hit the nail on the head yeah. because this is exactly what I was thinking of. Uh, like this little demon lair yeah. where he seemed to be storing the stuff. Yeah. And then I was like, what about that? Remember the CD 
that like appeared out of thin air yeah. and was launched at Bob uh-huh. or Bobby rather uh-huh. was that stored in this area oh. until then like you know what I mean yeah do you think the next thing that he'd throw would be those Legos yeah or was he like just saving them for yeah it? like I know Legos hurt humans hate stepping Absolutely. on Legos this yeah. one's I'm saving this one for last <laughs> also according to the book Amber is a really powerful like protective stone so I wonder why I was in there well was it taken from somebody who was trying to protect themselves? Oh. You know, anyway, is it's all fucking, we're just guessing at this stage. That night, after they uncovered the demon lair, Bob took the PRS group out to dinner with the whole family, and they left the house empty with all the equipment, like, recording. And when they got back to the house, they all felt an extreme anger. Within minutes of arriving home, Father Ron called asking if everything was okay. He said, I've been picking up extreme anger, cursing and and agitation emanating from your house. Shortly after this, one of the PRS crew got a call from Julie, their psychic, saying there are powerful feelings of anger coming from the house and that she was concerned for the safety of the team. So that night, Bob went to bed, uh, but Lisa stayed up with the team this time. Around 4 a.m., the team and Lisa were in the first floor library for a prayer session. The PRS group were very Christian-based, like in their protection and stuff. And Lisa said, one of them went into a trance, one of the PRS group, Mm -hmm. and began to talk of the spirits of children being held captive in the house along with the spirit of an old woman. Bob believed was possibly his aunt, maybe, who had died in the house. That group member then said that several angels appeared and swept these captive spirits away while the weakened, angry demon was forced to watch from a distance. Now, this does kind of correlate to some of what, like, uh, Father Ron had been saying. You know, he said that although there is, like, so much bad in the house, that there is also an active positive force trying to help out, you know? Mm -hmm. This is Adam Bly's verbal account of that night. Ryan and six or seven people were praying in Bob's library. We didn't know what was going on with the case at the time. Ryan had a camcorder on a tripod in the in the back corner of the room. This next part I don't talk about much in public, but after being exposed to this stuff for years, I've developed a lot of sensitivity. As we were praying, in my mind's eye, I felt very strongly that under the stairs, it felt like a deformed or abused child was coming towards the room, even though the door was closed. It felt sad and upset, like it was coming towards the prayer, wanting help. I felt like there was something wrong. Then a really strong, evil presence came into the room, and everyone felt it. They kind of rocked back on their heels. We were in a circle, and we leaned back, repulsed by it. In my mind's eye, I saw and almost heard this mocking, evil, really arrogant thing floating up there in the room, like maybe four feet off the floor. And I saw that it had babies wrapped around it. It was disgusting. It was male and it seemed to come when the child was coming for help. It was worse than repulsive. There was a camcorder running at the back of the room and we didn't know it at the time. But it went black right before the evil presence came into the room. We were kind of freaked out and so we said the St. Michael prayer. And then it did feel like positive forces came into the room. So this guy, like Adam Bly, actually went on to work. He left this paranormal group and went on to work directly with the church, as far as I'm aware. It 
like he had studied demonology or something like this. I don't know if the team got anything else in terms of evidence. Like I said, this wasn't a... They didn't have a TV show or anything at this stage, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, But Bob really felt like that they had accomplished something by opening up the... We're just going to keep calling it the Demon's Lair. Because yeah. it sounds fucking metal. Um, But he actually took this as like a revenge mm. for the rooms upstairs that he had lost. I see. Like he was taking that one back yeah so now it's the first week of february 2005 father mike comes back after being busy while the prs guys were over because remember he didn't want any involvement right he blesses the walls on the third floor after they had been bleeding and goes down and blesses the door of sorrows charlie's mental health took a turn the walls were bleeding yeah remember last week oh so oh wait yeah you're right like the weird shit that that was on the fucking walls i remember yeah because at the end of last week's episode bob went upstairs to discover that his walls on the third floor looked like they were literally bleeding and i guess this is the first time that father mike has been back since that happened so he go that's why he blesses them charlie's mental health also took a turn this week And while he was visiting his counsellor, he was taken directly from the counsellor's office to the hospital for observation. Bob and Lisa tried to take a weekend away from the house and booked into a nice little B&B like a couple of hours away. But as soon as they got there, Lisa gets suddenly very ill and Bob actually had to take her to the local hospital. And they ended up like she got was given like medication and stuff and he just brought her straight home. Bob felt like this was the entity's doing so while lisa was recuperating in bed bob decided to sort out the new room under the stairs the demon's lair he repaired the plaster and washed away all of the coal dust like literally just brought a bucket full of soap and water and a sponge and he washed the walls and the floor all this years and years of coal dust but he said the entire time he was in there he just felt this like unnatural anger he said cleaning it definitely helped but then the anger would like just wash over him again. The next week, uh, Lisa actually has a phone call with Julie from the PRS, their psychic. Yeah. And she informs Lisa that everything that happened that week was directly due to the demon. During one of Father Ron's phone calls, he tells Bob that he's going to find the diamond ring somewhere in the house. This ring was given to Dr. M as a as payment from one of his patients and under no circumstances is to be worn by anyone Mm. bob did eventually find the ring like randomly on the third floor he also found another ring later that was blue sapphire and he just kept them both and like hid them away so nobody would put them on their fingers father ron also told bob that if he hears moaning in the green room or sorry if he hears moaning in the room with the green wallpaper with the plants on it, because this is how he had to describe, you know, remember he had never been to the house before. He just had these crazy descriptions. Anyway, he said, this isn't a demon. And he's Bob is to tell this spirit to go towards the light. And this was the room where Bob's aunt had died. So he then tells them that, he believes a worker died in an accident at the mill where the wood for the house was being cut and that some of his blood splashed on the wood and it's somewhere in the house. Jeez. But when Bob asks him, he's just like, 
I'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> but I was like, of if how much more can possibly go wrong like in this yeah. fucking house? Yeah. That was all one phone call, by the way. That's a lot to take in. Yeah. 21st of February was a Monday, but Bob has it down as a Friday. Boom. Fact checker. Me. I am the fact checker. All right. Bob was wrong. I actually have written fact checker extraordinaire. And it took me a long time to figure out how to spell extraordinaire. Not proud of that. It's our reliance on spell check. Or what is it? Autocorrect. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, he got his dates mixed up. I'm not saying that anything else is wrong or anything. I just felt like a woman over on there. <laughs> I'm not petty or I anything. I didn't know there was a competition. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> so anyway, Friday night around the 21st of February... <laughs> PRS come over for another investigation after agreeing to a strict set of rules stating that they are purely there to document and in a scientific form like the priests will deal with anything spiritual right. they have to be kept separate this is because Father Mike was still throwing a hissy fit uh. and still didn't think that this was a good idea whereas Father Ron was like whether you think it's a good idea or not this is the process of how we get yeah. to the next step yeah so this time around it was different and again here is adam bly's account of what happened on the first night that friday night it was cold and snowing outside we were talking on the third floor but it felt oppressive and overwhelming i walked outside with ryan and elfie one of the girls in the class to breathe we walked for about 15 to 20 minutes then lightning hit and then lightning hit nearby and everything went black except for the four street lights around us. We felt like we needed to get back right away because something may have gone wrong. We returned to the apartment on the top floor and entered one of the crawl spaces of the back room or off the back room. Ryan demanded that the demon say its name. My eyes were open but I saw letters as if there was a piece of paper held in front of me. I saw S a t the next letter was h we left the crawl space and when i got home i looked for names and it turns out that sathi is a female demon then everyone was brainstorming about what do we do what does it mean i was very new to all of this and hadn't had these strange images and impressions before i thought maybe i should reflect on it i went to the other room alone sat on the floor closed my eyes meditated i pictured the house and i could see it underneath the lower part of the house i saw faint tattered souls and then bigger things milling about and they weren't good then one turned and looked at me i opened my eyes and stood up and i felt dizzy so i went back into the other room the others turned and asked me what's wrong i stood there and these scratches welted up and appeared on my floor on my forehead as they watched and they were filmed so literally now obviously i haven't seen the footage but these scratches because being on the forehead as well blood just started trickling down his face yeah and it sounds pretty cool honestly like but that's the first time that somebody was attacked outwardly not while they were asleep yeah which i thought was pretty fucking crazy that night while Bob slept, he had a really detailed nightmare fueled by his anger and resentment towards Lisa and like the money issues and shit. 
And he seems to think that this was a blatant psychological attack on him, possibly the first one. Mm-hmm. So Father Ron calls the Saturday afternoon, sounding worried. He said, I can feel the tension coming from the house like a nuclear reactor, ready to melt down. They should not have called upon the demon to tell them its name or to reveal itself. That was very dangerous. Please, all of you be careful tonight. He also tells Bob that there's a member of PRS in a, ja- in a leather jacket who will become angry and possibly dangerous later in the night and that there's a scissors sitting on the kitchen table right now which he needs to hide. And as Bob was on the phone, he turns around and yeah, there was a scissors oh. sitting there. So he takes it and he hides it. Yeah. There's no way he's running with those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck that. After dinner, Father Mike led a prayer session for around two hours. Adam, Adam Bly of PRS, Bob, Lisa and Kerry, remember the friend of the family, attended while Ryan tended to the crew. Again, Father Mike was not happy about this, but anyway. At eight o'clock, they started a cleansing ritual. Now, I don't know if this is part of the prayer service or what, but while they were up on the third floor doing this, Ryan was on the second floor in the blue room where the Passion of the Christ was playing on a loop. Yeah. He said that all of a sudden, a sexless apparition came out of the closet and smiled at him in a mocking manner and then disappeared back into the closet. This was nothing new for my family, but it startled Ryan badly. We continued through the rest of the house down to the basement and did not let this event distract us. Ryan wasn't the only one who experienced something strange while this cleansing ritual was going on, however. In the words of David, The lights were off and the moonlight was coming in the bedroom and Charlie, Kerry and I were all standing there praying. Some of the PRS people were there too. When we got to the fireplace by the closet door, even though there was light coming in from the windows, that one corner became overwhelmed by darkness. You couldn't see the fireplace at all. Nothing. It was like a black cloud suddenly appeared in front of the open closet. We held hands and prayed and boxed it into the corner. Charlie and I both yelled, Get out of our room! And the darkness went back into the corner. Then we yelled, In the name of Jesus, get out of our room! Only at that point could we see our fireplace. The smell was really bad too. Good old stinky demon. So it was like the sulfur smell? Yeah, just his like trademark fucking stench. Gross. Yeah. Now, I don't like the smell of sulfur. It's like that rotten egg smell. But I do like the smell of like a match when you just light it. Is that a different kind of sulfur? I don't honestly know because I went to sulfur mines Mm. or something like that in Austria before and they stank. Yeah. Like not just like the smell of a match. So I don't think... Mm. That's the same. All right. With all that had happened during the last couple of months, Bob thought they were making some real headway in this battle. But if anything, the demon became more aggressive with blood spatter manifesting on the first floor, the entire length of both staircases, the library, the kitchen cabinets, even the wallpaper when Bob was redecorating. Mm. Like he was pulling wallpaper off the walls and finding blood behind it. That's gross. Yeah. Bob took off, so there was a weird like door knocker on the door to the blue room. Bob removed this. Father Ron told him to leave it there. Father Mike told him to take it off. Mm. 
in my notes I have Father Ron told him not to and Father Mike told him yes to (laughs) (laughs) but anyway he decided fuck it they were just like bickering he was the conduit they were arguing through him and eventually he was just like fuck this took the doorknob knocker off and he fucked it in the river (laughs) according to Father Ron the door knocker had been placed there for Dr. M when he was doing his operations or anything like that to I don't know, like people would use the door knocker and he would be like, okay, he knows that it's safe to let them in or some shit. I don't know. Weird. Yeah. So later that same day, the the same day that he got gets rid of the door knocker, as Charlie went into the small bedroom to practice guitar, he discovered that the crucifix had been thrown off the wall and was lying face down in the middle of the floor. Where the crucifix had hung, there were drops of spattered blood running down the wall. As he sat there and played, he heard what sounded like nails being scratched across a blackboard. That night, as I was lying in bed, I was scratched on the leg so hard it woke me up. It felt as if I had been jabbed and scraped with a needle or sharp pin. This thing was moving around the house at will, displaying what seemed like a, what seemed to be a temper tantrum. I could almost feel its frustration, which again convinced me that we had to push back and persevere. So, first week of March... They organized Father Mike to come over for another prayer session that weekend. And he says that his Christian mystic, Barb, is going to come too. As per usual, when they organize anything, the entity starts acting up in the days prior. Like as if the entity is wise to the plans. This time in the form of nightmares. Both Bob and Lisa were having really jarring nightmares in the lead up to this mass mm-hmm. and Lisa describes one recurring dream she was having there was a large triangle in a square downstairs in the house surrounded by black cloaked figures with candles chanting Moloch it was terrifying like a witch's coven in the centre was an extremely large being draped in black moving back and forth with a large sword all of a sudden the being plunges the sword into one of the other figures That's when I woke up. This morning my knee felt as if it was on fire. She was trembling as she told me this. I looked at her knee and there was in fact a small puncture wound. So Moloch, real quick. That means something, doesn't it? Yes. Traditionally, Moloch has been understood as referring to a Canaanite god. However, since 1935... Scholars have debated whether the term instead refers to a type of sacrifice on the basis of a similar term used to mean sacrifice. Mm. Oh, in the Punic language. This second position has grown increasingly popular, but remains contested. Since the medieval period, Moloch has often been portrayed as a bull-headed idol with outstretched hands over fire. This depiction takes the brief mentions of Moloch in the Bible and combines it with various sources, including ancient accounts of Carthaginian child sacrifice and the legend of the Minotaur. The Minotaur Tar. The Minotaur Minotaur Tar. So I took that directly from uh, Wikipedia, Mm. but in the book, it's referenced as like people literally putting children in the hands of this like golden statue or something over the fire for them just to burn and melt to death. That's the type of sacrifice that he's that's being referred to here. Oh wow. 
yeah, like it's really fucking hardcore. And the name Moloch came up when they were talking about the Malachio. Mm. Um, and then he also compared it to the name Malik. Yeah. Which was the first oh, owners of the house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of like, you know, yeah. Zach Baggins, he kind of clutching at straws, but yeah, like, if true, yeah, it's big, you know. It explains a lot, yeah. The night after the prayer session, Lisa is pushed over again at the bottom of the stairs, causing her to knock over a statue, which like fucking shatters on the ground. The next day, David is sitting in his bedroom playing video games when he sees the doorknob start to turn on its own. And then when he gets up to open the door, he finds that it's locked mm. and he's locked in his bedroom. But this time he physically saw someone yeah, fuck with twisting it. it. That yeah. to me is fucking terrifying. Yeah. Bob says that by now these were futile attempts by the entity to scare them. And it was just no longer working. Like this was just so old hat to them by now mm. that nothing it was doing was lasting. Or sorry, was affecting them. That's crazy how that happens with some of these situations, you know? It's just like, oh, fucking well, you yeah, know? Yeah, they it's, just get bored of it. It's it's just, They just get tired of it, I feel like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which I could never, I I don't fathom how. I, I yeah, I don't be, know. I, I don't guess know. it comes with like being constantly scared. You're just like. Oh, Eventually the fear yes. wears off. You're yeah. just like, oh, yeah, it's scary about it you're also fucking boring <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> or something i don't know so all of this stuff went on and then all of a sudden it was just quiet for weeks mm. charlie had been attending a special boarding school that was it said equipped for kids who needed extra emotional support bobby was doing great he had gotten his driver's license kind of like got his life on track and he had this new girlfriend who was a great influence on him and had actually reclaimed the upstairs living room that Bob used to have to go up and like do his nightly fucking battle against the demon in. Yeah. Bobby was now living in there. That was his bedroom. Mm. David decided he was going to move into the blue room, just like out of out of the blue. Huh. He said, that's it. Like, I'm going to move in here. This room isn't being used and it's. And nothing was happening yeah. to him. He takes it back. And up until now, like Bob still had the tv and dvd players playing the passion of the christ mm. so he didn't want to just turn that off straight away so we moved the tv and that into his aunt's old room and the two boys had their rooms and that was it, it was fine so they felt like oh we're literally gaining possession of the house back yeah, again slowly yeah yeah um david also at this point he was in his final year in high school and he had decided that he was going to join the marines so he was actually only in there for a couple of months before he had to go off and go to like boot camp and do whatever bob was using the third floor the apartment as his office and had stored like his clothes and stuff up there set up a little dressing room he said and while going through a box of his mother's possessions one night he finds a card from the vatican that he had received when he was a cub scout in 1963 so Bob's mom was the, I think, they, like the mother, the den mother or something. Oh, okay, yeah. Like she organized the meetings and looked after the kids and she had gotten them all to write letters to the Pope huh. in 1963. And, um, That's peculiar. Yeah, I, I think it was like a As thing. As if he was Santa in, Claus or something. Literally, it was like these letters were to say like, thank you for all the good that you've done. I see. And... They, so they all each got individual cards back handwritten saying like, 
you know, thank you or whatever. Yeah. Go on and be holy now. <laughs> um, and with the letter was a picture of him in his little uniform. <laughs> Later that night, he happened to be looking through the bin, which I thought was okay. Um, but he actually found the picture of him in his Cub Scout uniform, like in there, like not just sitting on top, but like buried in the bin. Yeah. And so, yeah, he thought this is weird, but thought maybe like, oh, I fucked it out by mistake. Yeah. And then later on, when he's getting ready for bed, he happened to notice that the picture was now in the bin in his bathroom. What the fuck? Yeah, as he's like brushing his teeth, whatever, he looks down and there's the playing musical chairs. (laughs) So he told Father Ron this and Ron said that this particular picture, I guess, was like attached to the Vatican card Mm. somehow, like Mm -hmm. that time of his life. But he said it had such a strong energy that the entity just wanted to get rid of it. Mm. Now the entity has taken to the third floor for the first time in God knows how long. But the hallway would smell of sweet, fresh blood, while the rooms would smell like something dead and rotten or like an extreme body odor. Yeah, that sounds worse than the sulfur. Honestly, yeah. And one day Bob comes home and goes up to change on the third floor where he's keeping like i guess a big closet and on one of his white dress shirts sitting on a hanger he takes it off and there's just one strip of blood down the back sounds like as if somebody just ran their finger down the back of the shirt yeah to get rid of blood gross yeah but again he just throws it in the wash he's like all right fuck it he's like fuck you i got laundry detergent bitch yeah (laughs) i use shout you remember when you thought my sister was just shouting? I didn't know at what my the fuck she was talking uniform. about. Yeah. So, uh, story time. When Adam came over here, uh, he watched my nephew play baseball for the first time. And his uniform was mostly white. And it was like brand new, fresh out of the package. Sparkling white. white. Yeah. And so my... I keep calling you my husband as if you're not here. Um, Adam said, Adam asked my sister, how do you get his uniform to be so white? Yeah, because all the kids are like jumping around in the dirt and the grass. Yeah, and it's true. It's really hard to get white. White. And my sister said, oh, shout. And (laughs) and so (laughs) for some of you that don't know, shout is like a a pre-soap that you spray on clothes. It's a stain remover. Yeah. And <laughs> so what was going on in my husband's head was he thought it was strange because it was like, what do you mean? Does she just shout yeah. at the dirty clothes for it to get white? Like, get white, get white. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of Mexican magic is this? Anyway, so it's relatively quiet. And the first week of April comes around. I'm keeping these dates in for myself as well, but just as we have some sort of timeline and the event. Early one Saturday morning, as I was leaving the house for mass at the convent, I discovered the cabinets in the kitchen were open and containers and other items were scattered all over the floor. The extra grocery bags that Lisa kept were strewn about over the basement steps. When Lisa turned on the basement lights, Both bulbs, controlled by the switch, burned out at the same time. The glass top to a decorative kerosene lamp was placed inside the music compartment of our old pump organ, 
while Lisa's car keys were found on top of the grandfather clock in the foyer. There was still activity in the closet with the pull chain on the light. One afternoon, when Lisa had the door to the closet open, the cat casually walked in and proceeded into the area under the steps, the demon's lair. Within a few seconds, Lisa said that the cat shot out of the space like a rocket and hid somewhere in the house. So, pump organ sounds filthy. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, but I thought that like this kind of stuff, to me, I thought was really fucking... It's like this this entity seems to be getting more and more desperate mm. as time goes on. It's like, well, what about now? What if we do this? <laughs> and look at this. But a lot of the stuff is like shit that you would find at the start of most hauntings. Yeah. Like random poltergeist activity and shit going missing and all. Yeah. It's like he's regressing. Yeah, literally. Like, yeah. Anyway, Bob had like tried to set traps and stuff for the entity. As if you're trying to catch a mouse. <laughs> literally so crazy he had like i don't know where he got the idea for this was like he stripped two cables uh, of insulation so had the bare wire yeah bare copper wire like exposed Uh in the space under the stairs and he had two of them so in theory so the ghost could trip over it no 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 like he had power going through them oh and in theory if the ghost was to go there it would close the circuit and like turn on a light or set off a buzzer or something i don't fucking know either way it didn't work lisa in the end had the bright idea of storing christmas decorations in that room mm. to piss off the work the entity christmas Basically, decorations? yeah because she was like well, what if like these what if he hates christmas it makes sense well she was literally like if we fill the room he'll have it'll have nowhere to go mm. And if we fill it with something that we associate with such a positive yeah. time. And it worked. It seemed to work anyway. Oh, shit. Yeah. Which, like fruitcake and shit. <laughs> <laughs> so one Saturday afternoon, Jessica calls Bob and asks him to come over to her house straight away. Remember, he had rented them a little duplex like uh, yeah. elsewhere. So he gets there and there's fine streaks of what looked like blood had appeared on the wall of her staircase. Bob cleaned it with the towel carefully, placed the towel in a Ziploc bag, and then burned it later. She also reported seeing a black shadow out of the corner of her eye, and by the first week of June, everything seemed to have quietened down. And the family had just had a week's vacation together because David was going off to boot camp, so they were like, oh, everybody, let's go to this place in like Nantucket or something. And when they came back, they had a mass in the house everything was chill now like the dog the cat like sleeping through the night they weren't like growling and staring at things randomly everything was like just fine but jessica and colin however both have their legs pulled out from under them while walking down the stairs in their house so bob gets on to father ed and says like let's go over here same ass in their house and they do and that clears it up completely they never have any more experiences in that house. But the very next day, it's back in Bob's house. Literally like like this fucking thing. Took a vacation to Jessica and Colin's house. What a fucking nuisance. Man. Yeah. So since David was using the blue room, Bob had started to use the room where his aunt died for his morning and nightly prayers. But one night in late July, 
As I was praying, my heavy black rosary fell apart right in my hands. As I examined the pieces, I could see that the metal links were still closed and intact. In fact, I had to bend them open with pliers to put them back together again. The next night, as I went into the room to pray, I could not find Father Ron's printed prayers anywhere. Father Ron had given him specific prayers to say. Like, I looked through the entire room and then checked the other bedrooms as well. I went back into the small room to start again and just noticed the corner of a piece of folded paper sticking out about half an inch from behind a picture on the wall. I pulled the picture out and one of the prayers fell to the floor from behind it. As I got down on my knee to pick it up, I noticed the other prayer had been slipped down in a crack between the 10-inch baseboard and the wall. What the fuck? Like, this thing is smart. Like, it knows what it's doing. And it's just trying anything at this stage to stop them from being able to practice their, their faith. Bob had also put up a picture of the Pope on the wall on the third floor where the blood had shown up first. And a few days later, he comes back to find... Uh, the picture face down on the floor outside of the room well i guess it's better than drawing a mustache on it (laughs) (laughs) father ron had received the reports from the prs and had made an official request to the bishop to get a father james labar the chief exorcist of the new york archdiocese in and after a bit of fucking around he was finally scheduled to show up on september 5th now just like every other time plans to attack the entity are made i'm using the metaphor of the battle again because that's just the way they were talking about it in the book so anyway it's fitting yeah but anyway just like always the entity seems to know what's going on and it starts to show its strength and soon the house starts to smell like sulfur and rot again and then just before his arrival i woke up in a cold sweat and found that i was completely turned around in bed and that my head was at the bottom of the bed and my feet were on the pillow that's what being completely turned around means (laughs) i found it very difficult to move and was in a daze to the point that when the alarm went off at 6 a.m i was unable to turn it off or get out of bed to go to mass as i always did on saturday mornings lisa and i both began to have very strange perverted dreams that i can't even write about because they were so bizarre then the following night as lisa got up to go into the bathroom i heard a loud crash and jumped out of bed to find her lying on the floor She had been pushed so hard against the corner of the wall that the force had actually broken the skin. As I helped her up, she said that she had been shoved into the darkness. That's scary. Yeah. So it is enough, like, to think, you know, even as I'm going through the list, it's like, oh, there's blood on the walls. Oh, it's making banging noises. Oh, Mm. doing this. But then when you stop and, like, actually think about it for a minute, can you imagine, like, the way we get up in the middle of the night here, no lights oh, on or anything. You're just like fumbling your way to the toilet and all of a sudden something just pushes you. It's one of those things that I, I do think about when there's no lights <laughs> on. That's why I always sleep with a, with a night light on. Yeah, yeah. I tried to sleep without a light on last night, but I panicked. And I said, nope, nope, nope. Yeah, after about three seconds. <laughs> so anyway, September 5th rolls around and in walks Father James Big Bollocks Labar <laughs> with his assistant priest, Father Ben. Father Ed, Father Mike, Bob, Lisa, Kerry and Barb are in attendance and after spending about an hour or so giving Father Labar a rundown, he starts doing this thing. He says his prayers and whatnot for about a half an hour 
and then tells everyone else to go and do their regular cleansing ritual around the house while he sits in the living room on his own. While they do their walk around, Father Ben, who, by the way, sounds like a fucking dreamboat. The way Bob (laughs) describes him, he's like, chiseled jaw, fine young man. (laughs) He says he senses something in the attic room where the entity had showed itself standing over Colin's bed, which at this point, it seems like so long ago Mm. in the story. And when they get to the basement, Barb, who is Father Mike's psychic friend, she feels something evil in the furnace room and they go outside. They bless the rose bush that had been used or where all the ashes had been buried and they reconvene in the living room. But when they're in there, Barb says that she has an image of a demon in chains staring up at them from the basement and asks that they go back down uh, to bless that area one more time. And when they go down there, she is like visibly sweating and her face is like puce red. But she's the only one. And she's saying like, can you all not feel this? Like she was literally like suffocating down there. That's so strange. Yeah, but um, other than that, like strange reaction, that was it. There was no, like Father Labar is the chief exorcist. Yeah. At this point in time anyway. Uh-huh. He comes in and like they're expecting shit to be like, go fucking nuts. But mm-hmm. as usual, this entity just it's like crafty or something yeah and it just disappears mm. as soon as they come in to hold a mass or anything it's almost like they have to hunt it down that's yeah exactly so father labar told them to expect a few echoes in the coming months that's what he called it like random little events but not to worry like this is dealt with now they were all out of the house by like 10 o'clock for the next few months all was quiet bar a few weird happenings in the basement like Labar had said the week before Thanksgiving Bob found a bucket lying in the doorway to his workshop and when he went to put it back in the coal room he found some things had just been like strewn about and it was just like messy and to explain the basement again I think I did in the first episode but basically it's just the hole underneath of the house was one floor and someone just threw up like cheap, some walls and yeah stuff. like but they're not proper walls I think it's mm-hmm. just like he said like 10 inch planks like stacked together and god knows when this was made so old ass shit yeah so the little rooms are just like sectioned off more so yeah anyway around christmas time when the decorations had been taken out of the demon lair the light chain was found meticulously interwoven again Mm. but he makes a point that it was only after these decorations had actually been removed Mm. one night that january the smell of sulfur just randomly showed up in Bob and Lisa's bedroom. And a few weeks later, as Bob is down in the basement fucking with the water heater, he sees a black figure dart by right in front of him. Just quick as a flash. He was like, you know, looking at whatever he was doing. And someone just like ran by him. Mm. That was the first time Bob's ever seen anything in this whole fucking thing. Mm. Like by now it's 2006. They moved into this house in 1988. Those poor fucking people. Yeah. So the 24th of February, 2006. Father Mike, Bob, Lisa, Bobby, David, Kerry, and Kerry's friend who does like missionary work in fucking Papua New Guinea or something Mm. and is supposedly familiar with this shit. And he's just curious. They all gather in the basement the same mass. Bob's like, this fucking thing is still here. Let's have a mass right here. It's like seemed to have been contained to the basement by now 
they all go down and they have it set up in the main workshop in the basement and he said like it literally looked like a little chapel and the family dog starts going nuts at the top of the stairs barking constantly until they go up and carry it down it's like he wanted to be involved and as soon as they bring him downstairs he's just chill that's interesting yeah Hmm. he's just said he wanted to be included (laughs) (laughs) that's why he was barking yeah so every time they held a mass or prayer session of any sort before like i was saying the entity would go dead quiet but this time as soon as father mike started saying mass something started tapping on the wall Mm. it was between the workshop area and the furnace room and it would continue the entire length of the mass not constantly but intermittently just like a I'm not going to do it because if I was listening to a podcast and someone started tapping, it would scare the shit out of me. <laughs> um, but yeah, just intermittently, but very, very noticeable. Now, again, they weren't phased by this because they were just so used to this type of thing. But Bob said that he could feel the entity watching them from the doorway during the mass. And when it was over, Kerry stood up and Bob didn't mention this at the time, but Kerry said, like, I could see it standing in the doorway he said he had the same feeling and when he looked over he actually saw a dim hazy outline of someone Mm. in the doorway watching them as they were talking after the mass the family dog seemed to follow someone from one room to the next before settling in the coal room and just staring now the dog this was his behavior for the last few years like when he thought like Bob was convinced that he would see the entity and he would just be standing, staring for ages on end. And Bob actually took a picture one day to see what the dog was looking at. And it, he did catch something on the picture. Mm. Anyway, he goes into the cold room and he just sits down and stares in the corner. So Bob is convinced that it's in there. He calls Father Mike into the room saying that he could, Bob could actually see an extremely faint black smoky figure in the corner they have it cornered father mike comes in with crosses ablazing and all that and they start saying their prayers in unison bob is continuously telling this thing to leave in the name of jesus christ and they start to feel its energy dissipate and bob said it was getting harder and harder to actually see what he had first seen when he walked in Mm. he actually described it as though it was melting into the floor and that's it. What do you mean that's it? That was the last time. That was it. They won. After this session, no more. Wow. No more anything. This was the f- big finale. He said like he had almost wanted, you know, a big fight to happen. But when it came down to it, it was just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away as much as this entity was chipping away at them. Yeah. But if everything is to be believed or their fate helped them to win this fucking what 20 year long fight yeah longer than that 28 years i'm not quite done talking though sorry guys bob had kept a journal you know i think he kept a journal anyway probably still does and that's how he was able to write this book he went back over and with the help of erica mansfield they started actually writing the book together And Bob goes to pay a visit to Father Ron in his downtown office just to try and clear up a few details and go over the book and like, you know, make sure he's happy with everything as well. And he's telling Father Ron how amazed he is that every time 
he described something in the house or told him that something was going to happen or told him the history of the house and Bob then went and verified it and he could find you know proof Everything of these was things true. yeah yeah he's just saying oh so like how did you do it and father drum drops a bombshell oh that wasn't me <laughs> <laughs> that was my friend connie valenti a christian intuitive who absolutely will not be associated with the word psychic she hates everything to do with yeah, this yeah she believes that she was given this gift by god and also feels that she can communicate directly to like you know angelic beings and god himself uh and she tried to use her gift for good i think she was trying to like help the police or something in the 60s i'm not entirely sure but whatever it was word got out and her whole community just like turned on her started calling her a witch and all this so she had a really horrible time yeah and she basically became a recluse but had been introduced to father ron in the meantime yeah and they were friends and so father ron is like sure let's get her on the phone we'll have a little call here in the office yeah now bob had actually met her bob and lisa Mm. like throughout the years they would go to like christmas parties and stuff at father ron's house and shit like you know they're very socialite type people Mm. and so he knew who father ron was talking about and never once even while all this was going on he didn't realize that that was her yeah and she never came forward and said anything other than she did say to lisa one night oh your house is much quieter now right Mm. and lisa was able to say like oh yeah like thank god but they just assumed that father ron had like let it slip to her Mm -hmm. and this next bit is going to be quite long like a lengthy bit of a read while on the phone like naturally bob had like so many questions for her so I'm going to give you a little bit of the conversation, the conversation, yeah, an excerpt. Some terrible evil deeds took place there long ago, obviously in the house. In addition to all of the illegal abortions, many of which were late term and caused the death of the child and sometimes the mother, there was much suffering perpetrated upon women and children on your property. Before the house was built, long before, I see a mother screaming, covered in blood, screaming for her three daughters who were killed right in front of her she was killed as well and i see her still there in the yard screaming for her lost children i see the spirits i see one man in particular with a big knife there was a massacre of the mother and her three children by native americans who were angry at their land being invaded by settlers the husband wasn't there when it occurred he came home to find this grisly scene one of his daughters the youngest one lived until the next day, but died from blood loss. He buried his family right there in the yard where it took place. He took a sapling tree and planted it over the graves as a memorial to them. The tree took nourishment from their bodies and today is a huge oak tree. Sometimes at night, when all is still and quiet, one can faintly hear the wails of this poor woman crying for her lost family. Jeez. So, now that he had that information... Bob actually went and looked through old military records of that time. Something to do with the military back in the day, I think. Okay. No, what's that war? What the... um. I don't know. Anyway, there, there was lots of, you know, cross-references between the land because the land had just been sectioned up and there was a fort, like, close by, something like that. Anyway. <laughs> what's that war? It could be any of them yeah. at this point. <laughs> but he goes through them and... 
just happens upon one letter that just makes a passing reference to the murder of the wife and three children of one Deliverance Brown at the hands of Native Americans. Mm. He then went and took divining rods. Is that what they're called? They're not dousing rods? Dousing rods, sorry, yeah, yeah. He then went and took dousing rods to the area and they went nuts, apparently, at the base of the tree. So then, convinced that these had worked, he hired ground pe- ground penetrating radar systems incorporated to come out and use their ground penetrating radar system on the area. And the results showed a man-made 11 by 6 foot disturbance at the base of the tree. According to the company's report, the findings were consistent with an excavated gravesite with what appears to be four people buried four to five feet below the ground. Mm. The mother and her three children. Mm-hmm presumably and there's more i believe that the evil spirits associated with this massacre certainly could have remained attached to this plot of land and their goal has been to destroy and terrorize young children these demons were later further energized by a curse placed on the house when it was built and then worked to cause the evil deeds that eventually took place in the house after it was built in the cranmer house and on the land there was not only the demon spirit but many captive human souls who remained as spirits or ghosts. On several occasions, she continued, Father and I would pray, and I would go into the house through my mind. I would see things, things from the past that happened there. Father and I would pray about it. I was concerned about your family, the children specifically. They don't understand. Little ones are more open to seeing evil and being hurt by it because they don't have the ability to shut their minds like adults do. Children can't. They're intellectually so innocent and vulnerable. The house was filled with departed children. There were also some spirits of their poor mothers as well, lamenting their lost children. A lot of terrible things happened in that house and on the land besides the deaths, and evil possessed the house as its own. The evil owned the house and it emanated from the house. When Bob came to buy it, he was divinely prepared to eventually deal with the evil and all that it did and represented. He would not be run over by it, nor forced out by it. He had the strength and was going to confront it and nothing was going to push him away. That's rare because most people would have moved. When Bob asked why it was him that had to deal with this, Connie said, You were killed in that house and you were the one chosen to come back. But you should know that you were loved. She was a young girl under a lot of influences to make her situation go away. It was a different time. It wasn't that she didn't love you. She was forced into it due to the pressures of the time and the propriety. There were many young girls. I know all their stories. Some of the women who came in and out of your house were very tough. Some were very frightened. Some felt they had no choice. There were a lot of different energies in that house over the years. It's unbelievable. It fills the whole house up. They want their stories told. Out of nowhere... Bob turned around and said, I'd like to know about the young woman with the long black hair. So Bob had never told anybody about this particular woman, but he had dreamt of her Mm -hmm. and he had dreamt of her often. But he put it down to the demon, you know, playing tricks on him, Mm -hmm. this kind of thing. Connie replied, the woman with the white dress. Mm. She's beautiful, even gorgeous. Bob said he felt like he knew her. Her mind was way beyond her years, Connie said. She was very educated, 
She wanted a family, but accidentally got pregnant before she was married. She died at the foot of your stairs in the foyer. She was taken to a hospital, but it was too late. She had been sent to the doctor by a close friend of her family. He was a prominent Pittsburgh politician who possibly had her taken there to get the abortion. So, at this point, Father Ron had to interject and say, look, what Connie is saying goes totally against like the Christian beliefs. He is saying like that this is reincarnation. Yeah. Like past life stuff. Yeah. And Connie agreed. She was like, I know it's totally against us, but this woman is the reason why Bob was called back to the house. Mm. This was his mother in a past uh, life. Yeah. And was she like the positive force that lived in the house? She is a positive force. Although she was kept there against her will, she also stayed there almost as a beacon to keep calling Bob back to the house. Mm. And she was the reason why Bob was chosen. Say, yeah, and he wouldn't leave. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Another really sad thing that um, she pointed out, she said, like, not all of the disturbances were caused by this demon either. She, She said, again, there are so many spirits that were trapped in this house. And Bob said, I don't know how many times I was with my children on Christmas morning opening presents and I would walk out of the room and the door would be ajar or things would be thrown about down the steps like someone was extremely sad or even angry that they couldn't participate. To which Connie replied, there were a lot of little children whose lives were snuffed out and they were watching. Aww. Yeah. So that was it. Yeah. Bob commissioned the painting of the woman in white and it still hangs in the house to this day. That's interesting. Yeah. And but he since that final mass in 2006, there has been absolutely zero activity. Now, Bob being a man of maybe not science, but proof, like the way he would set up his little experiments or Mm, the way that he got this ground penetrating company in to Mm -hmm. search the place out. He also managed to send a sample of the blood off of the walls oh, to a lab. Good. Yeah. How'd that go? They concluded that it was not real blood. The mysterious substance contained mildew, spores, and some skin cells, but it was also not any type of mold or natural growth. They're saying that we don't have any explanation for it, uh-huh. but it's also not human blood. Uh-huh. So it's still a mystery. But the fact that he got it analyzed and they sent it back with like basically an unknown, I thought was worth mentioning. So it was just some mysterious fucking liquid. Yeah. Yeah. And that stuff it had and was probably just picked up from whatever was on the wall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So September 2019. Mm. Bob and Lisa have parted ways. They I don't know what happened. I'm not sure. I couldn't find any obituaries or anything. Um. I think they just split up oh. in 2018. Uh-huh. Um, but Bob and his new business partner, Claire, uh-huh. Uh-huh. have opened up the house as a and b where you can stay, possibly not right now, but maybe after the apocalypse, it was operating anyway. Uh, Charlie is running the day-to-day operations, like oh, cool. high, high tea yeah. and uh, getting the breakfast ready. But yeah, so that's the story. All right. Thank you, Adam, for that story. All right. And we'll see you back after these 
messages. <laughs> so yeah, that's that. And um, so you can you can go and stay there. It's on all the regular websites. But he has said that he doesn't want people going there ghost hunting. No Ouija boards, no seances, no nothing. As far as he's concerned, they made that house quiet and they want it to stay that way. That's That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he's actually just opened it up because of its age and he's filled it full of antiques. Mm. And like they've kind of themed the rooms a little bit. Like, mm. But this, the, there's the blue room. Like, I'll show I wonder you the if they have right an now. irrigation room. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. It's an office reference for you guys. So there you go, the Demon of Brownsville Road. All right. From start to finish. Now you basically don't have to buy the book, yeah. but I <laughs> uh, hope you all enjoyed it. And let us know what you think of the longer stories. Like, do you want more series like this, or do you want us to just keep little short, sharp shocks to the system? Yeah. And yeah. All right. All right. So I guess that's it. That's another longer episode. Um. Don't forget that if you're going to leave us some lovely reviews on iTunes, send us DMs of said reviews and uh, your address, and we'll send you out a nice, lovely sticker in the post. If a sticker isn't enough for you, if you want like a t-shirt or a hoodie or a notebook or a pillow or... Head to Redbubble. Yeah, go to our Redbubble or just go to... Weekly Creep. Yeah, search Weekly weekly Creep on Redbubble. (laughs) Find us on Instagram, reach out. We love having a chat, which is all. Um, we're on Twitter and Facebook. I lied last week when I said I would have a Facebook page ready because I don't. I tried. It's a fucking shit show. I don't know how to work it. Okay. Well, like we just won't man. be on Facebook then. Probably not. But if you want to set up a Facebook for us, by all means, work away. Yeah, do it and, and then we can join. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I think that's about it. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. And next week we'll have something totally different. (laughs) Yeah, completely different. Or we might have to revisit this and see what I got wrong. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you very much. And see you next week. Bye. Bye. Like a nuclear... Nuclear. It's pronounced nuclear. (laughs) Mercury. Mercury. He said, I can feel tension coming from the house like a nuclear (laughs) reaction. Fuck. He said, I can feel the tension coming from the house like a nuclear. (laughs) (laughs) You're having one. water on yourself. Uh, it's all over. <laughs> <laughs>